Would you welcome John Angelini? Thank you, Charlie. Yes, Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's good to be home. It's good to have some of my family with me tonight. My mom's here with me. Mom celebrated this, the beginning of this year, her 91st birthday. She encourages us all. And um, it's extra special for me to be here tonight because this trip was not something we had planned. I think we just made the arrangements three weeks ago. I called Pastor John and said, I'm going to be here visiting my mom. It's something that just sprung up and... He said, it'd be great if you could come and minister. And for me, it's always a privilege to be able to stand here and minister God's word to you. To bring a bit of what we've been sensing in our part of the world that God's been speaking to us. And I pray it'll be a comfort and be relative to you in your situation. And I believe it will be. Um, Before we pray and get into the message tonight, I want to just say a few things in introduction. This year, 2011, has been, for us as a church, a real emphasis on the new covenant. Um, There's so much to study in the Bible. There's so much to learn. And this year especially, I felt God said, say to my heart, we need to look at the new covenant in a new light. So often, we as Christians have a tendency to adapt things out of the old covenant, and because we found it in the Bible, we bring it into our lives. But we live under a new and better covenant based on better promises. And one of the things Jesus taught about the new covenant is that you've got to put new wine into new wineskins. You can't put old wine into new wineskins, and he went on to say the problem is anybody who's ever tasted the old, they like it better. So it's a challenge for us to look at our lifestyles, our traditions, the way we do things in a new light, and look at them in the light of the new covenant, to see if what we've been having in our lives is old wine, or is it the new wine? And this whole year has been full of learning and seeing some new things about the new covenant we walk in. And I'm going to take one little piece of that tonight and share it with you. And in the light of all that's going on in the world, I believe God is going to help us to put our focus on things that are more important than what we see going on around us. You see, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The Bible says that. So get ready for it. But you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The only time we get shaken is when our eyes are on things that are not of the kingdom of God. So I find this a very purging and cleansing time. When everything around us is shaken, it helps us to get our priorities straight. What are we looking at? What are we putting our trust in? Where is our hope? And if we'll keep our hearts honest and open to God, he'll always always gently lead us back 
to that which will never disappoint us. That's the Lord Jesus. That's the reality of the new covenant that we've been born into through his sacrifice. Now that's the introduction. Let's pray together and we're going to learn tonight about this glorious gospel. We're going to talk about the glory of God tonight in a very practical way. We're going to take a very theological theme tonight, something that's very, for many people, abstract and spiritual, and bring it into the practical reality of your and mine everyday life. So Father, help us tonight. Help me as I open up your word tonight to speak simply and accurately. Help us to hear and to see that which you desire to give us. Open our eyes that we might behold wonders from your word. And we thank you in advance for that which we're going to receive tonight through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let it glorify the name of Jesus and let it help us to live for his glory every day of our lives. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul called the gospel this glorious gospel. And as I began to study this aspect, I began to see that the gospel is full of God's glory. It talks about, the God, about God's glory over and over and over again. So we need to understand what is the glory of God. What is that in a practical way for you and I to experience, to understand, and to demonstrate to the world around us? We're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I do want to read this passage from verse 7 to verse 12, and then we're going to define what the words glory in the Old, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, in the Greek, literally mean. But first let me read this passage. But if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excels. For it is which is, uh, for it is that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then we, that we have such hope, we use great plainness, or as the original says, boldness of speech. Now in this one passage, it's a lot of glory. The Old Testament had a glory, the New Testament had a glory. The Old Testament glory passed away, the New Testament glory is more glorious. Glory, glory, glorious, glorified. Ten times Paul mentions the word glorious or glory. And he makes a comparison between the old covenant of law, which revealed the righteousness of God, but did not enable a a man or a woman to walk upright in the law. It exposed our inability to be complete before God. That was the purpose. One of the purposes of the law was to show us we needed grace, was to show us we needed God's way. We could not make a way of our own. And God sent his son to pay a price for us that we couldn't pay for ourselves. And in doing so, he showed us the glory. 
Now, it's interesting, as Paul begins to make a comparison between the law of Moses, the old covenant, as you will, the Ten Commandments. Now, just think of that for for a minute. You talk to most Christians, and their their whole um, um, goal in life would be to walk according to the Ten Commandments. But notice he called the Ten Commandments written in stone as a ministration of death. He goes on to say, and it had a glory to it, but not as glorious as that which came through Christ. He went on to call that, glo- that ministration a ministration of condemnation. See, the Ten Commandments only showed us God's expectancy, but it also revealed our inability to fulfill God's expectancy. And therefore, it brought condemnation and it brought death. It didn't bring anybody closer to God. If anything, it made them feel more unworthy and unable to walk in God's ways. But then comes the gospel, the glorious gospel. And it's called the ministry of the spirit. It's called the ministry of life. And it's full of the glory that never fades away. The glory of the old, as glorious as it was, with all the miracles and all the wonderful things we read about, (coughs) cannot, excuse me, cannot compare to what you and I have been given in Christ. Get a hold of that for a minute. The glory that you and I can partake of when we receive Christ as our Savior is nothing to compare with what Moses experienced, even though he walked and talked with God on the mountain and was given these stones where God's laws were engraved in. The things that you and I can look at into the new covenant are so far exceedingly greater in glory than had you been there on Mount Sinai and heard God speak from the mountain. The things the prophets saw in the old covenant, the things they talked about are so less in glory to what, in comparison to what you and I can look at when we look at Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and the books of the New Testament. It is the glorious new covenant that you and I have been given to look at. So let's define what do we mean with glory. (coughs) You have to excuse my voice. I've been having such a dry throat the last few days. So I'm not going to try to speak too loud. But you try to listen real good, okay? The Hebrew term for glory literally means weighty, heavy. And it figuratively implies splendor, plentiful, and glorious. The New Testament word, doxa, it means dignity, honor, praise, and glory. (coughs) And I believe the best practical definition of God's glory is his manifested presence. Whenever God shows up, whenever God's on the scene, whenever God's in the house, 
It's a manifestation of God's glory. His presence. And God's glory comes in many ways and does many wonderful things. And it's actually the glory of God that you and I have been privileged to experience that's now dwelling within us and we need to learn to let the glory dictate our lives, dictate what we do and how we do it. Because when we're letting the glory flow through our lives, we're letting the Spirit of God flow through our lives. Whenever God's Spirit is made manifest, the glory is being made manifest. Now, I think the greatest example of this is when Jesus took Peter and James and John and went up into the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that story? And he took them up and suddenly Jesus was transformed in their midst. And his face shone like the sun. And his raiment was white. And then two men appeared and talked to Jesus. Elijah and Moses. Very interesting conversation. (coughs) And Peter, James, and John, they were scared. And they said this. Lord, it is good that we were here. I think that was more of a question. Like, is it okay that we were here? Let's build an altar. And you see, that's the danger. If we experience the glory without understanding the reason why God has shared his glory with us, we want to remain in that place where we've seen God's presence and his manifested glory in our our midst. We want to remain there. We want to build an altar. We want to have church. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. We must go down the mountain. There was more to do. You see, God gives us a glimpse of his glory because he wants us to understand that glory is residing within us. And it is that which is going to equip us to help us down the mountain. To help us in the world that doesn't know God, that needs his manifested presence in their lives. So I hope tonight helps us to get down the mountain. It's good to be up the mountain. It's good to experience and see the glory of God. But it's not where God's called us to live right yet. There's a job to do. Back down the mountain, back where people live who don't know God. They saw the manifested presence of God. Now, look at this with me in Exodus chapter 33. This is that wonderful story when God showed up with Moses. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 18. Moses said, I beseech thee, show me your glory. The Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass when my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face 
shall not be seen. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. Jesus declares, uh, God declares, you can't see my glory in my face and live. I want you to remember that statement. You cannot see the glory in my face and live. Human frailty is not able to cope with the glory and the presence of God without any restrictions. The glory that shines out of the face of God would kill us. In the old covenant. But in the new covenant, we're going to see tonight, we are invited to look into the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus. And it says about Jesus, he is the outshining. He is the the expression of God's excellency and brightness. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. When you're looking in the face of Jesus, you're looking at the Father's face. When you're looking in the face of Jesus, you're seeing what Moses couldn't see. Church, I want you to understand how privileged we are in the new covenant. We are invited to look into the face of Jesus and we won't die. You know why? We're already dead. Got you on that one, didn't I? He said, when did I die? When you ask Christ into your life, your old man died and you were raised up together with Christ into a newness of life. You see, when you try to approach God according to what you've done, your works will never make you complete. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. We can try as good as we can. We can fulfill all the rules, do all the tradition, do everything we think we're supposed to do, and then some. And it still does not give us the ability to look into the glory of God. All it does is expose how needy we are. How unable we are to do things on our own. But you see, truth and grace came by Jesus. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's love towards us in spite of us. And God gives us this grace. He opens his door of his heart to us when we come through his son. See, there was a price that was paid for us to have this wonderful luxury. And the price is what Christ paid on the cross. His sacrifice gave us the legal right to be called children of God, to be partakers of the very glory, the very presence and power and majesty of God himself. And you can read all wonderful stories in the Old Testament and see types and shadows, but you won't see this. Men walking with God on the same level now being temples of the Holy Ghost. You won't see people who could walk and talk with God as children with the Father the way we can because of Christ. You and I have been given the glorious gospel. So as soon as we try to do things in our own effort, it's a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation, and it brings nobody any help. But when we get over into faith. Faith 
in Jesus. Faith in what the resurrected Christ has done. Faith in the promises of God. Faith that the word of God is true. Suddenly we look at the glory. Suddenly we see things as they really are. God said to Moses, you cannot look at my face and live. Let's go to John's Gospel, chapter 17. I want to show you tonight that one of the reasons why Jesus came and went to the cross was so that you could look at the face of God and the glory therein and live. Read this with me. We begin in verse 20 of John 17. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus at prayer for us. He says here in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, he was talking about the apostles of the Lamb, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So this prayer includes you and I. This was not a prayer just for Peter and Matthew and James and the other. It was for you and I, because we have believed through their report, through the ministry of the apostles of the Lamb, through the book of Acts, through the um, letters that we've been given. Take this prayer personal and listen to what Jesus prayed. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory, and the glory which thou gave me, I have given them. That they may be one. Now listen. The glory is given to us for what purpose? That we might be one, even as we, that's as Jesus and the Father, are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Here's a question. Where is he? He's in the presence of the Father. This was not a physical location. This was a relationship location. It wasn't a matter of just being in Jerusalem at that moment. It was a matter of being in the Father's presence. I pray that they will be where I am. And here's what happens. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. God desires for us to behold his glory. The glory of the Father was given to the Son. The Son has passed that glory unto us. And the purpose of that glory is that we will learn that we're one body. And as we stand in this oneness, this unity of the spirit that God has given to us, the world will know that Jesus is Lord. Wow. You see, all our efforts to try to be one will never get the job done. We need to be looking at the glory. We need to be there where Jesus was in the presence of the Father. Only there we're going to overcome all our differences. All the petty things that separate Christians keep us from being one as God would have us be one. Get rid of our egos, whose name got forget, forgotten, 
All those things matter nothing in the light of eternity. They're all petty, natural, earthly, human things. But you get over into the presence of the Father and suddenly you're not even that important anymore. Did you ever notice that? The world can be coming down around you, but you get into the presence of the Father and suddenly it doesn't, it's not all that big anymore, is it? In the light of who he is, what God wants to tell you tonight is in the light of who you now have become because of who he is. You now are a carrier of the very glory of God. You now have access to the glory that God the Father has, that he gave to Jesus, whom Jesus has given that glory to us. And it's only that glory, it's only the manifested presence of God in our lives that will cause us to really understand what it means that we're one body. And it goes beyond movements and denominations and titles and labels. It has to do with faith in Christ. Amen. Paul put it this way, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Jesus in us is the reason we even have hope that we have this expectation that what he prayed will manifest. I believe Jesus knew how to pray. I believe that when Jesus prayed, he always got an answer. I believe this prayer has an answer. That we will be one as Jesus and the Father are one. That the world might see. Therefore, he gave us his glory, his manifested presence. But the key of experience in that presence is spending time with him. If we don't spend time in prayer, if we don't spend time in the word, if we don't spend time communing with God, we'll never understand this glorious covenant that God has entrusted us with. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. We'll go a little bit further this time into chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 5. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and 5, they're talking about the glory. They're talking about the new covenant, the better covenant. And he says this in verse 5, For we preach not ourselves. We've had enough people preaching about themselves. We don't need more of that. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what the ministry is, simply servants for his sake. And our preaching is Christ. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Did you hear that? God, we're talking about the one who said, like be, and it was, has commanded, just like he said, like be, and like was, 
has commanded now in your heart, in my heart, in our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus. God commanded it that you might know it, that you might see it, that you might experience it and carry it with you everywhere you go. Now you think about this. Moses, I want to see your glory. And God said, sorry. You'll see my backside. (laughs) That's about all you can handle. You can see my backside, Moses. But if you saw the fullness of the glory in my face, you'll die. But in the new covenant, in the ministry of life, the ministry of righteousness, we look into the face of the glory of God. And God commanded it. What a privilege. See, the next time you're worried because on the news they said the stock market did this and that, think about God commanding the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in your heart that shines in the face of Jesus. That thing will go up and down and turn around and do another, another 360s. Our confidence is in Christ. We preach Christ and him crucified. That is the gospel. And it's for anybody who have ears to hear. Anybody who believe can have access to the presence of God Almighty. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But we have this, here's the problem, but we have this treasure in jar clays, earth, earthen pots, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now here's one aspect we have not looked at. What should flow through our lives is the excellency of the power. What should be obvious to those around us is that it ain't from us. Because we're just clay pots. We're just earthen vessels, literally a jar of clay. That's all we are. A dear friend of mine once said, the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is Jesus. Sometimes we think we're the difference. No, it's Jesus. And the excellency of the power. Now, I want to get your eyes on this. Don't look at what you've expected or what others have expected or even what the ministry has expected. Look at what the new covenant expects of you and me. What should flow through all of our lives is excellency of God's power. So much so that everybody around us should say, that must be God that cannot be from that man or that woman. But we've settled for so far less than what God has given to us. It's time to get our expectation back. To meet with God. To be there where Jesus was. In the Father's presence. (coughs) 
beholding the glory and taking that glory and bringing it to a hurting humanity that needs the power and the presence of God. Let's not build altars. Let's not stay up there in that place of transfiguration. It's great when God allows us those moments. But those moments are given to remind us of what is resident all the time in us. If we feel it or not, if we can sense it or not, doesn't change the fact. The excellence of the power is resident within us 24-7. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says this. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You need to stop struggling to be a good Christian. You need to lean on God's grace and on the gift of glory that's resident within you. You need to spend time with God so that that glory will become more and more a part of your own consciousness that I'm not living for myself and I'm not living out of my own strength. He that is within me is greater than he that's in this world. He that's within me always leads me to triumph. Christ gives me the victory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And understanding that it was the glory of God, it was the presence of God that raised Christ from the dead should help us in the same way through the same glory to live a new type of life. One of the new covenant. Too often, too many of us are trying in our own strength. But we are invited to walk in the newness of life by the glory that's now dwelling within us. In closing, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to show you something in verse 13, and then we'll close in verse 18. It says in verse 13 about Moses... And it says, don't be like Moses who put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. (coughs) Now, this verse is a little hidden in the King James. I wish you could read it in the German. It's so much plainer. Do you know what it literally says? And I have to tell you the story. When Moses came down the mountain, just being with God, seeing his backside, caused Moses to have an an expression or a manifestation of God's glory so strong that the children of Israel said, "Uh, you shine too bright for us, we can't look at you. So Moses put a veil over his head. Now That was pretty cool for a while. But then Moses noticed something. The glory is fading away. You know what Moses did? He left the veil on. You see, when he was the only one shining, I'm pretty cool. We're leaving this veil on because I don't want anybody to see the the glory has gone. I'll read it again to you. 
not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. In the original Greek, it says, so that the children of Israel could not see that the glory was abolished, was fading away. It's a whole different picture. And it shows our typical humanity. (laughs) See, you and I have received the glory that doesn't fade away. Here's the problem. What fades away? That presence is not experience when we're not in the place where Jesus was. I pray that they'll be where I am with you, Father, that they may behold my glory. Jesus was always in the presence of the Father. The more we consciously make an effort to walk in communion with God, in our prayer life, in our study life, in our relationships, in the way we do what we do, that it glorifies God. We're living in a place where the glory can constantly flow through our lives. We might not even realize it. I'm not talking about goosebumps and lightning bolts and earth shakes wherever you go. I'm talking about simply being who God's called you to be. And then God shows up doing things that most of the time we only find out after the fact. Some of the greatest miracles I have ever witnessed in my ministry, I only found out about it after the fact. Shows you how much I had to do with it. But the glory was present. The manifestation of God's presence was present. And that made all the difference. We don't need to be afraid of it fading away. We don't have to put a veil over us to keep it locked up. Hoping that it won't. No. That glory faded away. Our glory remains forever. Because our glory is his glory. Now look at this in verse 18 as we close. But we all. We all who? We all Christians. We all believers. We all that had followed Jesus. Who have partaken of the glory. But we all with open face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, which are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. (laughs) Every time you and I, you see, here is where you're going to see the face of Jesus. Here is the mirror of God's word. Matter of fact, the book of James, he called the word of God a mirror. Here's where you're going to see the reflection of the face of Jesus as you get to know him through his word. Now let me show you what happens. It says we go from glory to glory. Do you know what that means? I used to have a different picture of it. I used to say we go from glory to glory to glory. I got a total different picture of it. You know what we do? We go from glory to glory to glory to glory. We begin to look into this mirror and we begin to see his glory it changes our lives. We see his glory it changes our lives. We go from his glory and it becomes a part of our lives. From glory to glory to glory to glory and the more we look into the mirror the more we see Jesus the more we're transformed into the same image. Woo! 
Now, pastor, why should I read my Bible every day? I think that's one good reason. I think that'll help you get out of bed in the morning. As I look to the word of God and I see Jesus and I look to the new covenant and I see the glory of God, it changes me from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. We all with an open face beholding as in a glass or in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image by the Holy Ghost from glory to glory. I want you to think about this the next time, maybe tomorrow morning when you open up your Bible. I want you to think about looking like into a mirror, but it's not your image you're seeing. You're seeing the glory that shines in the face of Jesus. And the reflection of that glory hits you, hits your spirit, hits your thinking, hits your life, your soul, your emotions, and changes you into the same image. When is this process over? When we stand before him. And until then, we need to look daily into the glory. Wow. Amen. This is this glorious gospel. What a privilege you and I have. (coughs) To be alive now. To know him. It's the greatest privilege you and I can have. To have times like this. Wednesday or Sunday or whenever the church gathers. And in those moments, we get to experience collectively a touch of his presence. Let's be thankful for it, but let's not build an altar to it. Let's realize that these moments are given to God, from God to us to remind us, to equip us, to strengthen us, to get our eyes off of us and onto him and his plan and purpose. And walk away with more understanding of that glory and bring it down the mountain. Because that's where the glory is needed the most. You see, sometimes we think we need the glory. But the truth is, the glory is residing within you. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you if you believe on him. You may not always feel the glory. That doesn't change the fact you are filled with the glory. And all you got to do is open your Bible again and look inside the glory. It'll remind you of who you are, what you have, and what you can do because of Jesus. But remember that Jesus said, we need to get back down the mountain. But there's a purpose why God filled us. That we might be one that the world may know. Not just about us. That we might be one, yes, but that the world might know. God always has the world on his heart. And he wants the world to be on our heart. Because he so loved the world. Let's pray together. We'll close for this evening. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. Thank you for the wonder that we can look into your word and behold wonders. Behold your glory. Behold your character and your heart.
Pray for the congregation tonight. Pray for everybody who is maybe racked with worry and fear when they came in here tonight. I pray that our eyes have been lifted up to a different horizon, a different height, a different reality than just the things of this world. Because they come and they go. We have good times and bad times. We have easy times and hard times. But you are always there. You remain the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And help us to be a people of understanding, walking in the light of the glorious gospel that you have allowed to come alive into our hearts.